Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host with the most, Chris. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. That's right. It is February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone that has a Valentine's. And if you don't, that's okay. Just never be sad about it. It's a day to be happy. But enough of Valentine's Day talk. We have a lot to get into today. A lot has happened. Super Bowl has officially been wrapped up. The 2022-2023 football season is now in the books. And we will be getting to the Super Bowl later in the episode. But I have some other things I want to talk about. So let's hop straight into the episode. First up on the list, Derek Carr has been released by the Las Vegas Raiders. What does this mean? Derek Carr is now officially a free agent, as we all saw Towards the end of this football season, Derek Carr and that Las Vegas Raiders organization just had a bad turning out at the end. They were definitely not happy with each other. They benched Derek Carr for Jarrett Stidham towards the end of the season, and it definitely did not sit right with Derek. And now he didn't want to return to the team, and he demanded a trade, or at least he wants to be released by the organization. So that is what essentially happened. However, comma. However, there was a report that a trade with the New Orleans Saints was in the was in the works for Derek Carr, but Derek Carr refused the trade. What? Now, why would a quarterback refuse a trade? One line to explain it: the pettiness is through the roof with Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders right now, because not many quarterbacks would. Tell the organization, no, I do not want to be traded. I will be released, and I will figure it out from that way. And why I find that very interesting is because, and why I say it's petty, because he made sure Vegas was not going to get anything from Derek Carr. And I thought that was one of the most interesting and kind of funniest ways to handle what was going on in Vegas. And he just he went for it, and they actually did it. They did not fi- uh, figure out a trade before the before the Super Bowl, because I believe they said after the Super Bowl they will release Derek Carr, and we will you know they'll let him walk from there on out. And I didn't think that was gonna happen, honestly. I thought the Las Vegas Raiders, with how many teams that are quarterback needy right now, would at least maybe find something. So I never thought that maybe Derek Carr would say no. I do not want to be traded, and. That's what I just found so interesting about uh, the article I read about this and just the report was that he didn't want the trade. He wanted to be released. He was making sure that organization did not receive a dime or a trade, a new quarterback, nothing. He was making sure the Raiders are going to have to start from the ground up. So what does this mean for the Las Vegas Raiders? They need a quarterback. They need a quarterback because they just kick theirs out the door. So where do they go from here? Tom Brady's out. They were in the front. I think I believe they were the front runners to win the Tom Brady sweepstakes. He's retired. He's gone. You know, he's taking selfies. You know, he's taking selfies in his underwear. You know, let him be him. You know, he's up there in age. He just wants to live his life from here on out. Let him take, let him take selfies in his underwear. Let him crash the internet that way instead of crushing the dreams of every other NFL organization going out there. But. The Raiders are probably going to have to go into the draft. I think that's probably where they're, either where they're aiming or they're going to have to go into free agency. I want to say they may just go into the draft and maybe get like Josh Richardson from Florida, one of the top quarterbacks going into the draft this year. Just because I really don't see them trying to get another you know, free agent quarterback, especially kind of striking out with Tom Brady with his, you know, with his retirement uh, last week. And what are about two weeks ago? And what I also find kind of interesting about all this, whenever they're talking about Derek Carr 
and kind of his resume and what other teams like what teams may want you know may want from Derek Carr and what you know or maybe a best fit. What I find interesting for the Raiders before I get to Derek Carr and where he might fit is that you know Josh McDaniels is still the head coach. I don't know how long he'll be the head coach. You know depending on how. The rest of his tenure goes, but the first one that kind of comes to mind is Jimmy Garoppolo, because Jimmy Garoppolo was there with Josh McDaniels in New England when he got drafted to New England whenever the evil empire was reigning terror over the NFL. So that is an option because it has been reported that the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan with Jimmy Garoppolo's relationship is over. It has ended badly. They're, they have officially broken up and they possibly aren't going to get back together. So that he's an option. You could possibly go bit, go get Jimmy Garoppolo. The only problem I have with G, uh, Jimmy G is that he's just injury prone, man. You know, he did get the 49ers to the Super Bowl. I will give him that. But other than that, I mean, he's been he's just been injured. I think that's kind of been the biggest issue with you know with the 49ers. And now they see that you know what they have in Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, took him all the way to the NFC Championship. I don't know what they're gonna do about Trey Lance. They're very you know they're very hesitant with what they're gonna do with Trey Lance. You know if he's gonna get the go ahead. Or Brock Purdy. I know George Kittle uh, went on the record and said that it's Brock Purdy's job to lose. You know, if Brock Purdy wants to start next season, he needs to keep it. And I find that kind of interesting just because, you know, George Kittle, big time tied in. He's probably one of their best players on the team. And him making that statement. So Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get the boot. So kind of wrapping it back to the Raiders, he's available. Another big thing is if the Chicago Bears, hear me out on this, hear me out. If the Chicago Bears don't trade the number one pick, do they give? Do they trade with the Las Vegas Raiders and give him Justin Fields? What? Now, I don't really, I don't realistically see that happening. But that is an option, though. If the Las Vegas Raiders want to go that route and try to get, you know, one of these top quarterbacks coming in, you know, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, I believe the Tennessee quarterbacks can be in there, Josh Richardson from Florida, and a bunch of other names are out there for the draft this upcoming season. And he, you know, that that is an option. Because I haven't heard any reports about the what the Bears are going to be thinking about doing going into the going into the draft or in the offseason. They haven't made any words, and I believe that if if I think it was Ju- uh, Justin Fields said something about this, uh, if they do draft a quarterback, what's going to happen with him? And he just said, "Well, where am I playing next?" So it, it's out there. It's a possibility. I don't really see it happening. I think the you know the Bears are waiting to see who wants the number one pick. If it's going to be the Colts or the Texans or anybody else that needs that number one pick. I think they're going to wait towards probably draft day to see what they're going to plan, but they're most likely just going to get the defensive tackle out of Georgia and go from there. But, I mean, we never know. But moving on back to Derek Carr, where are some best places that fit for the veteran quarterback? Some of the teams that pop up, the New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. You may get Derek Carr. The only issue I really have is that they are in conversations with the Green Bay Packers to get Aaron Rodgers. Now, who would I want, Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr? I think Derek Carr has a little bit more in the tank. I may take, I would personally take my risk with Derek Carr, just because I, it's a person, it's like a personality thing for me. I don't like Aaron Rodgers' personality, which we'll get into his whole thing in a little bit. So that's kind of my opinion. The next team up is going to be the Carolina Panthers. I think he'd be a good fit because obviously after Christian McCaffrey left, uh, Hubbard and uh, Freeman, you know, took over the running game. They did really exceptional. Obviously, the Carolina Panthers had a crazy quarterback carousel this year. You know, you know, shuffling through quarterbacks: Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, uh, PJ uh, PJ Walker. You know, and I think just Derek Carr is not, you know, over decade 
experience is going to help, especially with DJ Moore being there, the defense kind of stepping up, and, and, bright side, bright side here, Tom Brady's not in the NFC South anymore. Tom Brady's gone. The Buccaneers do not have their, you know, don't have the GOAT playing this upcoming season. So that division's up for grabs. The New Orleans Saints are, um, you know, they're probably about a quarterback away from being a great team, but they're stuck with Jameis Winston and, an, you know, a shell of himself, Andy Dalton. So that is an option. You know, if he goes to Carolina, he has a chance to probably run the division. Atlanta, I don't feel like they're going to do any better. So, they, you know, the door's wide open for him. The, the NFC South could be his if you kind of look at it. So it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Possibility here. You know, next team up, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They need a quarterback. Tom Brady's gone. Now, why would I think the Buccaneers might go get him? It's because the Buccaneers have some great wide receivers. Mike Evans, all pro, probably going to go in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Leonard Fournette, great running back when he wants to be. I mean, <laughs> we've seen it. Uh, Chris Godwin, speedster. Um, I think that that's you know that'd be another great landing spot because he would already have those weapons ready to go, especially since they were revolving around Tom Brady. The only big thing I I believe is going to be Todd Bowles and the head coaching, you know, because he didn't do so well, and I think like Tom Brady just didn't like working with Todd Bowles and the offensive coordinator there. So it is you know it's a up for grabs on kind of Tampa Bay, and I think it's a little bit of a reach, especially if they're just going to try to see what they have in Kyle Trask, the quarterback that they drafted a couple years ago, or if they're going to resign Blaine Gabbert and you know roll the dice with him, but. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers isn't a bad place. And also, as I stated, Tom Brady's gone. A lot of emphasis on that. Tom Brady's not there. So if he goes to either Carolina or Tampa Bay, he has a chance to win that division. You know, he just does. He has a great shot at winning it. So that that's another uh, another great place to probably go to, you know, in that, you know, kind of staying in that NFC South division. Next up, the Washington Commanders. Now, why the Washington Commanders? Carson Wentz, shell of himself. I've been trying to tell people for the past few years is that Carson Wentz is not that good anymore. Everyone wants to hold on to that 2017 MVP season that he had before he, you know, tore his ACL. He got the Eagles to the Super Bowl. No, he didn't. Nick Foles did, first of all. Second of all, because you did something years ago does not necessarily mean you're going to be great going into the future. Because you have one good season does not indicate you're possibly going to have a great career. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And this scenario, he has not. So he's probably going to be out. Taylor Heineke, he's had his ups and downs. And I know that the big thing with Taylor Heineke and why they keep him around is because he's a locker room leader. Everyone loves to have Taylor Heineke in that locker room, everybody just respects the heck out of Taylor Heineke. They love how he plays, you know, how he, you know, talks himself up. He stays motivating. He stays positive. So that's just a good team morale quarterback to have in your locker room, especially with, you know, Ron Rivera maybe not ha not believing in Taylor Heineke. But, you know, Derek Carr coming into the commanders, I mean, he would be great too. They would keep Taylor Heineke as a backup. I think even Taylor Heineke admitted that, or he went on stating that, he is cool with being a backup. It's probably going to be one of the best jobs you'll ever have is being a backup quarterback in the NFL, which I believe is true. Getting paid millions of dollars to back up another quarterback and just, you know, watch film and, you know, always be ready on site. And that's, you know, that's going to be great. And it's great to have, I guess, that kind of quarterback it, like with that mentality, you know. I, I respect Taylor Heineke for saying that, first of all. Second, like, it's... You know, it's just very humbling to hear someone say that, especially since he's been starting quarterback and he has a absolute right to riot. The no, I want the starting, I want the starting job. You kept bringing these quarterbacks; they're not working. I come in, at least we have a chance. So 
definitely, you know, great attitude to have, especially, you know, kind of going in, not sure well, what's going to happen, if they are going to bring Derek Carr in, or if they're going to probably go get another one in the draft, because, you know, Sam Howell, uh, Sam Howell might not be the answer. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting season with the commanders, especially with everything that's going on outside of their football, you know, just football, you know, just everything between the lines with, you know, Dan Snyder and the organization just being a mess. You know, so that's another option and for Derek Carr, but at least, you know, he has a backup quarterback that you know, that is ready to be a backup. You know, if need be, he's ready to learn behind Derek Carr, which I think is going to be another great thing, is that he's going to be ready to learn, and he can help, you know, kind of get that locker room respect from the other guys, especially, especially you know, Derek Carr coming in, you know, new guy on the block, not, you know, everyone's not sure how he is, obviously we saw what happened in Las Vegas, no one's really sure how this guy's going to work, but, you know, he hangs around Taylor Heineke, kind of gets on his good side, it can help boost the morale for the other locker room players that's going to be there, and also to add on to the team here, the talent is there offensively. You know, Antonio Gibson, you know, good running back. Scary Terry, uh, Scary Terry, one of the top wide receivers in the league right now. Uh, Dotson is another one. Curtis Samuel. They have a good team to work around. And that defensive interior is just scary. You know, Chase Young and Jonathan Allen, Montez um, Sweat. He's, you know, they, they have a stellar, they have a, they have a decent enough defense to get by. And it, it's going to be... You know, it's going to be interesting to see if Derek Carr goes to the Commanders. That they have a possibility to at least make the playoffs this year. I don't know if they'll win the division because you know there's still teams like Dallas, Philly, the Giants somehow are going are going are up on the you know up on the rise with Brian uh, with Brian Dole's co- uh, being the coach. So it might be a little bit still of a tough division to win, but they could make the wild card. Don't get me wrong, because if you keep this in mind, the NFC East, you know, at one point. Everyone, if the season would have ended by, I think, week 8 or week 9, the whole NFC East was in the playoffs. So we may have another situation like that if Derek Carr decides to sign with the Washington Commanders. So, that I mean, that like I said, that would just be a very interesting thing to see. But those are the teams that I think that are probably going to be a best fit for Derek Carr. Next up, talking about Aaron Rodgers. After the Super Bowl, he is going on a four-day retreat in the dark. Now, when I heard this story, I thought this cannot be true. He is seriously not putting his faith in his football future sitting in the dark for four days straight. Now, it's one of those things where you're in a cabin in like complete darkness. Like there's no light, there's no cell phone. It's just everything's covered in the dark. I don't know how you go to the restroom in that. I don't know how you eat. I think he kind of explained a little bit like they gave you like, you know, food there. You know, they feed you in a tray and just, you know, hope for the best. I just, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know why he feels like he has to do that. Just because, you know, he's undecisive about what his future is, you know, what his future in football is. We've, we've played, we've done this dance, Aaron Rodgers. We've done this dance with you for the past couple years, whenever the Green Bay Packers were deciding if they want to move on from Aaron or not, if they wanted to give him the extended contract. We've been through this dance, Aaron Rodgers. And I think some fans are like kind of getting sick of it. I know the Green Bay organization's getting sick of it. Just their problem is that they're scared to stand up to Aaron Rodgers and they've appeased them for so many years and now they've created a monster. So, 
like I said, I don't really don't understand what this whole in the dark thing is, and um, it's it's always been about Aaron, and that's kind of where I'm I'm getting the sense of from him. I know he tries to defend himself, like no, I'm not just all about Aaron, I'm part of the team, yada yada yada. It's about Aaron at the end of the day because at this point, I think if he was for the team, he would straight up admit like, well, if me being here is great for the team, then great. If it's better for the team for me to get traded, I understand too. He's just upset that they're debating on trading him to possibly the New York Jets. And I think he's just upset about that. And that's going to determine. And now, you know, Green Bay is trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because if he comes back and says they're going to retire, they miss out on, I believe, two first-round picks. And probably player and some money from the Jets. Um, They're, you know, they miss out on a lot. They could have, you know, this information could have been dealt with, you know, kind of been informed a lot sooner. So we're not waiting on the edge of our seats to find out. But as I said, we've done this dance with Aaron Rodgers for so long. And at some point, you're going to get sick of it. You know, the same tune every year. I don't make the playoffs. The Green Bay Packers are deciding if they should let Aaron go. Maybe go in another direction. Maybe try. I don't know. Jordan Love, the quarterback they drafted the first round. But Aaron says, oh, I may retire. You know, I may not come back. There's, I got to go think about this. I got to take time for myself to see it. We've heard the song and dance for a couple years now. And every couple years, you know, every time he talks about it, Green Bay Packers and the Packers Nation, hands and knees. No, Aaron, please don't go. Please don't retire. Don't retire, please. Come back and save the organization. Get us to the Super Bowl. And then he goes, you know what? I, I have a little football in me. Let's go. No, Aaron, like you, you just want the attention at this point. And that's what I feel like is what's happening is that the Packers are actually considering trading him away. And now he's kind of forcing their hand of, well, I'm going to go sit in the dark for four days and that should give me my answer of whether I want to come back or not. I think it's more of, well, if I go to the Jets, I'm, I may not be coming back. And the Jets are desperate at this point. So, and they have the most money to give him, you know, they have the biggest, I believe one of the biggest salary caps in the NFL right now. To give him his money, because especially since a lot of their players are on rookie deals or on, you know, hometown, you know, hometown discount, stuff like that. They have the money to pay Aaron Rodgers. So it's not like they're, they have to restructure his contract. It's not like they're going to have to ask him to take a pay cut. It's not because he, and also keep in mind this, the New York Jets have a really young team. You know, keep in mind, uh, Brees Hall, the running back, before he got injured, he was running away with offensive player of the year. It would have not been... Uh, the wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, which, by the way, Garrett Wilson won Offensive Player of the Year. Um, not Offensive Player of the Year. I believe he won Rookie of the Year. You know, fantastic wide receiver. That defense with C.J. Uh, Mosley, Quentin Williams, uh, Sauce Gardner, who wouldn't ask for a better team than that? They were a quarterback shy from probably ma- from making playoffs and maybe maybe going deep. I don't know if they would have gone to the Super Bowl, but at least, you know, going, going to the playoffs would have been a great start, you know, in the right direction. But they just don't have that quarterback. Mike White. Hurt, you know, he's hurt. Joe Flacco, he's old. Zach Wilson cares more about moms than he does with this, uh, with his job. So the Jet, you know, the Jets are, I feel like they're pretty dead serious on trying to get Aaron Rodgers. It's just right now Aaron Rodgers is maybe not wanting to go to New York. And that's why he's pulling this, you know, I'm going in the dark retreat. And we'll see from there. Like, I, I don't get it. Just right. I just think it's just about Aaron. He's just debating if. You know, maybe if Green Bay wants to send them off or not. And, they're, you know, this gives them the four days. In my opinion, I think the Green Bay Packers should just let him go. I think they've dealt with this for far too long. They've put up with Aaron Rodgers for far too long, you know, appeasing him, letting him do whatever he wants. We saw what happened when we saw what happens when he runs the organization. 
and it just doesn't go well. So with that though, and also another thing is that he needs to, you know, with him holding out in OTAs over the summer with a shorter preseason, mind you, it, it's important to, you know, to meet with these players and, you know, get this young chemistry going. I feel like if he goes to the Jets, he's going to have the same problem. He's not going to want to go to OTAs because of whatever reason, you know, still debating if he wants to retire or not. And then he's not going to have that good chemistry going into season once he decides he's, he's going to return. And then we're going to have the problem like we had this year. People, you know, wide receivers weren't running the, either not running the correct routes or they just weren't on page with Aaron. He's yelling at him, blaming him, saying that's their fault because he decided not to go to OTAs and now everyone's chemistry is off. And it's just going to be that same cycle over again. The Jets are willing to roll the dice on that problem. Personally, I wouldn't if I was the, if I was the Green Bay Packers and he was like, well, I may retire then. Then I'm, and I would just, you know, tell him, well, if you retire, you're going to re- possibly retire as another as another person. So either you make up your mind now or you can make up your mind with another team. And either way, we get our draft picks and you kind of just, you know, you kind of just screw over the other team. So I think that's what they need to do. And, he's, and you know, he states like, well, everyone, uh, everyone that's a hero needs a villain. So I guess I'm the villain. Yeah, you're you're right because you're holding an organization for a hostage and not letting them move on from you because you refuse to let them is being a villain, uh, Aaron. So I I don't know why he like has that conceited personality of himself and just believes that he's better than everyone and just goes from there. But anywho, that that's enough with Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what he decides in the next couple of days whenever he gets out of darkness and hopefully a picture of a team that he wants to go to comes up in his head or. Whatever epiphany he has. Next up, this one's kind of more of an interesting story than it is about, you know, about like an NFL player. It has something to do with NFL players. Pat McAfee from the Pat McAfee Show, former Indianapolis Colts punter and Hall of Fame NFL legend Shannon Sharp are getting sued by NFL NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre for defamation. So what does this mean? So I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of a recap of what happened with Brett Favre. Brett Favre, obviously, with the whole case around him with the Mississippi with the Mississippi play, uh, college, he was donating money, and then you know he was asking for donations for whatever, and then it turns out he was actually sending the money somewhere else. Allegedly, you know, he was sending the money to the school. Yada yada yada. We all heard the sing and dance here. What I find interesting is that he's suing Pat McAfee and the Pat, Ma- you know, just Pat McAfee, not even like his show or like any of his, you know, any of his. Uh, co-stars or anything like that and he's suing shannon sharp because they were talking about they were talking about what the, you know the incident that happened and whatever and he's suing them for decimation so if any of you don't know what decimation is it's basically they're you know they're they're tainting his name to make a profit and that's what he's suing for for uh for instance a great case that's similar is what happened with amber heard and johnny depp when johnny depp sued amber heard for decimation kind of along those same lines and what i just don't understand is that he put himself in the problem. He did that. You know, it's I don't think it's more of they're trying to ruin his name for money. It's that they're reporting on what happens. Even Pat McAfee talked about it in the show, you know, saying that we're part of the media, you know, where, you know, we have an obligation to report on stories. And at the time, this was a big story. And from going, you know, kind of just going from there, you know, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless talked about it. Steve, you know, everyone was talking about what was going on with Brett Favre, and he just decides to sue Pat McAfee and Shannon Sharp for, you know, thinking that they're trying to taint his name over, you know, because of something that he allegedly did or, you know, whatever he did or whatever. Whatever you think about what happened with him. 
And I just don't understand it. It's just, to me, it's like, there's evidence that he did do this. Um, the text messages that were brought up, you know, making sure the media doesn't find out about this and, you know, him defending himself. And he's just trying to sue people, you know, for reporting the, the media, for reporting the narrative of what happened. And I kind of find that ridiculous that he's trying to sue, you know, two of the, you know, two of the biggest names on like this kind of platform for sports media. Obviously, Shannon Sharp with Undisputed and Pat McAfee running a very successful podcast show mind you and by the way big fan of the pat mcafee show i remember when i saw this when he was talking about it he was you know cheering it on you know he was you know claim to fame we made it we're getting sued and i love i mean i love his i love pat mcafee's attitude towards it you know saying that well we made it the showbiz we're getting sued for decimation and you know we're just we're gonna go to court we'll see you there and i believe he was talking to some uh some lawyers came and talked to him about it and said like no he has a bad case and <laughs> I believe someone else is getting uh, sued as well. Uh, somebody uh, in Mississippi or Missouri, wherever this whole uh, interaction was coming from. And allegedly that person said, well, I don't know why he's paying all this money in <clears throat> he's paying all this money in lawyer fees when he could have just paid all the money back from the school or from those people that he stole from. Not a bad point. You could have just report, you know, just gave back the money. You're now you're spending more money on lawyer fees for trying to sue two people for doing their job. And I think that that's kind of, you know, that's kind of dumb in my opinion. It's just not respectful. Like, Brett Favre, you already dropped, you already put yourself in a big hole here. You know, you're already losing credibility with, you know, media, fans, other, you know, etc. You name it, they lost respect for you. Now you're trying to sue other people. And what I find funny is that Pat McAfee, like, he got like a letter about it and he was thinking it's a joke. You know, he's thinking his buddy Michael Cole from WWE is sending it as a joke. And then he finds out from Daily Mail that he's getting sued by Brett Favre along with Shannon Sharp. And I just, I thought I think this whole situation is kind of funny because, he, like I said, he already put himself in the problem here. And Brett Favre is not going to get far, you know, probably in this, in this decimation case. I don't really see him, you know, getting money out of him because, as I said, he kind of put himself in the issue. And they weren't doing it for money. It's for their job. It's not like... Oh, this is like I'm gonna strictly ruin uh, Brett Favre's name to get a profit. You know that was you know kind of what was going on with you know with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. But this is kind of not along the similar lines of like what that whole thing was about. But it's just more of it's kind of ridiculous when this you know when this scenario is coming up, the Brett Favre situation. It's just because it's it's just hilarious to me, and I don't I just don't understand why he wants to sue you know, two people for doing jobs as, like, media, you know, and, like I said, Pat McAfee explained that we're, you know, we we report on sports media, we have an obligation to do it, we run a show, you know, to the best of our abilities, and all I have to say is that good good luck, Brett Favre, I mean, if you really want to go to court and lose more money, go for it. Next up, some coaching news, Philly, Delphia, Eagles, you are not on top of losing the Super Bowl, you are now losing both coordinators, first up, the offensive coordinator, Shane uh, Steichen, I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name, has been hired as the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So, what does that mean? Philadelphia is out of an offensive coordinator, and now Indianapolis has a new head coach. So, congratulations to Shane for getting your head coaching job. And I believe he was on—I believe like he was in the, uh, one of the top runners for the job after making the playoffs. And they're getting—they're getting a great offensive coordinator. Obviously, he helped. You know, get the team to the Super Bowl. The offense that he helped run was the top, you know, one of the top offenses, if not the best offense. We, I mean, we saw that quarterback sneak play, you know, happen. No one could really stop it. I believe, like, the stat was in the Super Bowl, like, 30, 
like 34, 37 attempt of uh, the 37 attempts they've converted on 34 times, which is phenomenal. So, and definitely getting that, getting that offense to fit, you know, Jalen Hurts was definitely a big, a big plus for, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles this past season. And now with him going to the Indianapolis Colts, they're probably going to draft the quarterback. They're going to probably get CJ Stroud. I'm like 95% sure they're probably going to get CJ Stroud and he's going to be exciting. He has, you know, he can move his legs too. He can throw. I'm very excited to see what he's going to run with that offense. And keep in mind, he has Jonathan Taylor to work with. He has Michael Pittman Jr. I believe he has that rookie wide receiver. I'm blanking on his name, but he is really good. And they have a they have a decent enough defense. Maybe a couple other, you know, a couple other key play, uh, key parts is definitely going to help him out. And then they have Quentin Nelson, one of the best guards, uh, one of the best linemen in the league right now. So there's a lot that Shane can work with, and I think it's very exciting at, for you Indianapolis Colts fans. Because you're going to get a coach that knows what he's doing. And, you know, I think, um, so Jeff Saturday, the the interim head coach, he was, you know, he did like a little uh, video speech about it. And he said that there was people petitioning for him to come back. I don't know if you guys wanted him to come back because he didn't really help any more than, you know, the uh, Frank Wright did. So with that, I mean, congratulations to Shane. Uh, to Shane for getting the head coaching job. I know this is probably a positive thing to hear after just losing the Super Bowl. Well, I remember, we will talk about the Super Bowl in a second later in the episode. So congratulations to the Indianapolis Colts. You have a new head coach. And now, to fix the next thing, get a quarterback. Now, speaking of quarterbacks that are go- driving the organization crazy, the Jonathan Gannon defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles has been hired as the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. What? Now, I'm a little sh- I was a little shook about this hiring because I was thinking they were going to get an offensive minded coach like a former OC like Eric Bieniemy, you know, who just won the Super Bowl again or somebody along those lines because Kyler Murray. That's what I was thinking, but I I didn't even know Jonathan was on their radar um to get hired for the position. I I think there was like a couple other names, but I didn't know he was one of them and I thought that was very interesting. You know, out of all of a sudden, out of the blue, and I what I want to know is, did they consult Kyler Murray about this? That's what I want to know is if they talked to Kyler Murray about getting Jonathan uh, again as the defensive coordinator because he's not, you know, he wasn't the reason why that why the Philadelphia offense did good. I honestly don't even think his defense was that great in Philadelphia, and I'll get to I'll explain that a little bit later. But as I said, I was I'm just very unsure about this whole about this uh, about this hiring just because you do need a little bit of a more offensive minded coach especially with having kyler murray there and deandre hopkins uh james connor the running back they do have a good defense though i think they have a pretty stellar defense maybe a couple defense alignment is probably gonna is probably gonna help but you know buda baker isaiah simmons and other and other cornerbacks are just gonna they're gonna be a great you know they're gonna probably gonna run a great system under jonathan gannon but for offense, I just don't know what they're gonna do. I, I really don't. I'm very concerned about what like how they're gonna run it. Especially since Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach, is gonna be you know, he was the one kind of kind of calling the plays and going from there. But we will have to see how it works. Maybe maybe I'm wrong and they do really well. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't work out. So we'll see. But what this also means, the Philadelphia Eagles are in the hunt for a new defensive coordinator. And a new OC. I'm just saying, Cliff Kingsbury, he's in Thailand, but he's accepting calls. I'm just saying, Cliff Kingsbury can run an offense. We've seen what he can do offensively. Maybe take away the head coaching job and, you know, don't give him the whole stress about coaching, you know, being a head coach for a whole team. Maybe just let him call the offensive plays. 
We, you know, you may have a dangerous thing going on there with him and Nick Sirianni with Jalen Hurts. It might be another, maybe another run to the Super Bowl if Philadelphia gets him. And, you know, you never know. You never know who you're going to hire. And that's just one of the offensive coordinators off the top of my head. I believe Greg Roman is another good is another good one. But, I mean, I think Greg Roman would kind of work because he's a very run-heavy a run, a run heavy offensive coordinator. And definitely Jalen Hurts' legs and the running backs that they have, aside of Miles Sanders, uh, they have pretty, you know, pretty good pretty good running backs in my opinion so those are some two options i'm not really sure about defensive coordinators but in philadelphia's in the hunt so if you're an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator that needs a job or you know coach go hit up philadelphia next up going to the nba a little nba uh news that broke twitter for basically an entire week up until the super bowl kevin durant got traded for the brooklyn nets to the phoenix suns <laughs> now i found this trade kind of shocking because I did not think Brooklyn was gonna deal, like you know, dealt uh, Kevin Durant away to the Western Conference Finals or the Western Conference. I'm sorry, I just didn't think that was gonna happen. I know they gave, I know they traded away Kyrie, and Kevin Durant hasn't been happy there either with like such as Kyrie, and kind of just all the money that they spent to get Kevin Durant there and try to set up the team that he wants just for him to leave again. Have we seen this story before? I'm just saying, OKC he leaves to Golden State. Another big three that he did earlier in his career because he couldn't win it in Oklahoma. Goes to play for another team with some great players. They did well. Coincidence? I think not. Now, I do have some issues. I'll start with the positives here because he is playing with some top level, you know, top tier players. Chris Paul, I know he's a little old, but he can still at least run an offense. Devin Booker is probably one of the probably one of the best shooting guards in, in the NBA right now. And DeAndre Ayton's a great big man. So adding Kevin Durant, who can score from the three and in the paint, is going to be probably a deadly combination. Probably one of the best starting uh, starting lineups in the NBA. And they've just projected they've been projected to win the whole championship because that on paper sounds like an unstoppable team right now. You know, having Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the NBA, or not, uh, one of the best players in the NBA right now, and he he's just a killer. Like on the three-point line, in the paint, shooting it at the wing, he's just deadly. He can drop 35 points by just getting up in the morning and shooting around. He's guaranteed. Devin Booker can get you also some points. Chris Paul can run the offense. DeAndre Ayton can can also facilitate in the paint. However, negatives here. Negatives. Who's going to play defense? In the NBA, we've seen kind of a shift from defensive output, you know, being so high and being a reason why you're going to win championships to kind of more, if you can outshoot or outscore your team, uh, your opponent, you're going to win the game with a little bit of defensive help. Why do I bring this up? Because in the Phoenix trade, they traded away to the Brooklyn Nets, Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. I'm more shocked about Mikhail Bridges because he was runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year behind Marcus Smart, and he was, you know, he was definitely one of the top. He was one of their best. He's probably their best defender on that Phoenix Suns team. So that was definitely a big help. And Jay Crowder, I like Jay Crowder. He's not like splashy. You know, he's not like a you know a big household name unless you know you live in Phoenix. But I think you know I thought he made pretty big plays when he did. He stepped up in the big games when you know it was absolutely necessary. And he could play defense. You know, he was kind of that guy in the paint that can be you know intimidating for people you know for smaller guards or or point guards that are trying to drive it in he was a good intimidator so with those two key defensive players being gone is what i think is going to mess up uh phoenix is because as i said chris paul is a little older you know he's not as uh, fast vertically or laterally 
So that may be an issue. KD doesn't play a lot of defense. He can play defense to an extent. It's more of if Kevin Durant wants to play defense. That's kind of where he's at with that one. And you can't just outscore everybody in the, you know, you can't just hope to outscore everyone. Because obviously when you go up against some other NBA teams that can keep up with you in points, that's where the problem is. Another issue that I have is that Kevin Durant has to stay healthy. Like, I don't think he's going to start playing until after the the All-Star break for the NBA, which I think is about coming up in about a week or so or in, in a little bit. And Kevin Durant hasn't, you know, he hasn't been playing. He's had a lot of, you know, he's been having knee issues for a while now. We saw it in Brooklyn when he took the year off. We saw, you know, I think collectively in Brooklyn for the past, you know, his tenure there, I think about three or four years, he only played in 83 games. 83 out of his whole time in Brooklyn, you know, and as I said, he took the year off uh, to, you know, heal up and get ready for, you know, his return going into going into his next season. But he just hasn't stayed consistently healthy. He can play at a very high level consistently. Don't get me wrong. As I stated, he could drop 30 points in a night by just getting up in the morning, getting a good stretch, getting some push-ups in, you know, kind of stretching out his legs and boom, that's 35 points right there. Easy. But when he's out, when he's, when and we've seen this before, when he's out and he's injured, his team kind of suffers because they're missing that one player that can get you 35 points a game uh, per night. They're missing that kind of offensive scare because everyone has to worry about Kevin Durant, you know, scoring from the three or in the paint, or he can hit the fadeaway from the wing. Like, you're just missing that intimidation factor from Kevin Durant. And what I fear is that if he gets hurt again, the Suns that just, you know, gave away all their, you know, all those, you know, those two big players and they give away all those draft picks are going to be worth nothing. And it's kind of not the same level of concern like the, what the Mavs are. My concern is really Matt is just Kyrie showing up to the game. That's kind of my bigger concern. But with Kevin Durant, it's more of I'm scared he won't play because he's injured too much or he's not going to make it to the, you know, make it a playoffs because his knee's not keeping up with him anymore. And that's really my big concern for the Phoenix Suns. Don't get me wrong. On paper, best team in the NBA, they're going to win the they're going to win the finals. Hands down. But if Kevin Durant does not end up playing at least going into playoffs or kind of helps them out, they have a chance of not they're probably not going to win it. And that's just what I think, especially since the kind of a little bit of a down of a little bit of a grade this season. I think that they're, you know, kind of a little bit on the ground, a little bit not as like super dominant as they were last year, but with KD coming in, it's going to help offensively. I've, I'm sure they'll figure out something on defense. But as of right now, that's those are my biggest concerns about the Phoenix Suns is definitely who's going to play defense because KD can, but will he is another question. Chris Paul is a little older. Devin Booker, I believe he's hurt. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton can only do so much. So we'll have to see. And then Kevin Durant's, you know, injury-prone problems is going to be another thing to keep in mind going after the All-Star break. So we'll see how this team ultimately works out. And I just want to know something. I don't know if anybody else knows. Who do they, Does these NBA teams just have a Swiss bank account of first-round picks? Because when the tra- trade deadline came, so many teams gave away first-round picks. And I'm thinking, does, does somebody just own a Swiss bank account like over there in Switzerland just have a horde of first-round picks to give away? I, I, I need someone to explain that because I'm very shocked how many first-round picks a lot of teams give up to get a bunch of different players. And that's all I'm about to say about that. All right, next up, and lastly, Super Bowl 57 has wrapped up over the past weekend. And congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes wins his second 
Super Bowl and his second Super Bowl MVP. So congratulations to him and Big Red Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. You got to fight for your right to party. He is absolutely right, and they are probably having a blast right now. I know Patrick Mahomes was recently at Disneyland, so, you know, great for him. Now, a couple things I want to talk about. I'm going to break up the Super Bowl in three It's three different parts here because there's a lot to di- you know dissect, and there's a lot of things to kind of kind of talk about here. Sorry about that. Okay, so first up, I'm going to talk about the flag, the whole flag thing, because that has been the biggest talking point of the Super Bowl. That's not Kansas City winning. And I want to get this off my chest about this whole situation. The flag. So if any of you that don't know about what I mean by the flag, it's the at the end of the game, uh, James Bradbury got called with a holding penalty on Juju Smith, I believe, and they gave up five yards, ultimately... Kansas City would end up kicking the field goal to win the game, and Jalen Hurts only gets eight seconds to run, you know, to hopefully perform a miracle. And all I have to say this is to people: get over it. I've heard so many people just crying and complaining about the flag, and I'm personally kind of sick of it at this point because it, everyone was saying it's just you know it sucks you know it was a great game and that was just a bad way to end a great super bowl don't get me wrong i mean the flag did hurt you know the philadelphia eagles because if that flag wasn't called obviously things would have been different here's my argument though here's the thing if the situation was reversed and they missed the call or let it play we would have been talking about the same problem we would have had the same thing because if Philadelphia would have won the game, if that flag was never thrown, everyone in the media and everyone, you know, Twitter, whatever, uh, they would have had their opinion on what would have happened. If they didn't call the flag, everyone would have been writing that Kansas City should have won the game if they would have called the, if they would have pulled the flag there, you know, because they would have at least set them up to possibly score a touchdown and the Eagles may have not won the Super Bowl. And... That's kind of my thing with it, is that if the situation was reversed, we would be having a whole nother conversation. Next up, it's part of the game. Plain and simple. You, you see it in basketball. We've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in hockey. People, you know, the refs get a call. You may not agree with it, but it is part of the game. No matter if it's the Super Bowl or it's a regular season game or it's the NBA Finals or the or just a, just a simple basketball game, if it's the Stanley Cup or the regular season Anything of those examples, it's going to happen. It is part of the game. It it sucks, don't get me wrong. Now, what do I think about the hold? I knew, I thought it was a hold. I personally thought that was a hold. Because when I saw the replay and he grabbed his jersey and he tugged him, that's a hold. Plain and simple. And even James Bradbury went on the record and said, no, I, I held him. I just thought I was going to get away with it because they let it go. Uh, they were going to let it go. And I will give them this, that they did how it, they, I think what really what more people were more upset about was the fact that they weren't calling those types of flags during the game and they called it at the end. I think that's a little bit more where people were more upset about, about what happened. With me, I'm not upset about it. It happens. It's part of the game. You, you know how many times that's happened to other teams that wasn't in the Super Bowl that's had that happen? A lot, and that's and people don't complain about it too much. But when it's in the Super Bowl and this happening, and don't get me wrong, this flag they, they kind of help decide the game. It's part of the game. You're gonna get calls. You're not gonna get calls, and you know things of that nature. Here's another thing: the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot of chances to, you know, they got a lot of breaks. 
go if you really think about it. First example was I believe in the first or second quarter, Juju Smith Schuster, um, and that wasn't James Bradbury, but another defender, they missed the call. That was blatant pass interference or holding by the Eagles defender on Juju Smith. And you can see it because he got spun around. No call was played there. Miles Sanders, who fumbled the football and the Kansas City Chiefs returned it for a touchdown, called it back. I thought it was a fumble because it looked like he caught it. He took two steps, maintained possession, and he just got lit up. And the and the refs came in and said, no, that's not it. Bring it back. So the, it's not like the refs were all for Kansas City because they got they bailed out the Philadelphia Eagles a lot during the game from what I saw. There were, Lane Johnson did not get a call for a false start because I saw him false start, no call. And Kansas City even didn't get no calls either. So it's not like the refs were just for Kansas City, and I think I will never ever i don't think i'll ever say that in this game the rest were not for kansas city because they didn't give up the philadelphia eagles are any chance you know they got them out of problems too i believe the dallas goddard catch was another one when he juggled it in his head and they i believe they kept it or they said it was it was a completed catch that one was 50 50 i in my opinion i don't think there was enough evidence to overrule it and that was a good call but obviously though obviously the refs kind of went with that and with the hold, I thought it was more of a 50-50 play. I thought it was more like, okay, if they didn't call it, ah, that's kind of bad. If they called it, I mean, that's a good call. In my opinion, that's what I think about what happened in the, with the flag here. And just everyone complaining about it that, no, like, that was a, that was a soft call. They should have not called it. Yada, yada, yada. It's part of football. It happens. You're going to get flags. You're not going to get flags. They're going to miss calls. They're going to get calls. We see it in every sport. It's not just football. So this whole thing of, you know, the flag was soft, the NFL's rigged, they wanted Kansas City to win the game. I, that's not it. I really don't. Because clearly you can see there was a couple times where Philadelphia did not get a flag and they overturned the fumble, which would have been a bigger lead for Kansas City. And we saw that. So that's why I'm gonna that's probably gonna end on that note with the flag, just because it's been frustrating me hearing people talk about it, and just everyone complaining about the flag because it happens. You're going to get calls. You're not going to get calls. It happens in every sport. It happens in every game. You're not going to agree on everything. And that's just the way That's just the way it works. I'm sorry it ended. This, you know, it was a bad end to a really great Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. I was kind of like, well, I kind of hope that Jalen Hurts would get like a last second drive to see what he can do. But he still played good the rest of the game. Keep that in mind. He had a great game. Either way, it was a great Super Bowl up until that point. And I think that's just the, really the big problem is that people need to get over the fact that the flag happened and that's it. Call it weak, call it soft, call it a bad, you know, an, a bad call, whatever. You can see, you know, you see it how you see it, but at the end of the day, that's part of football. You're going to get you're going to get a flag. It happens to everyone. It's happened to the best of players. It's happened to the, you know, maybe not the, you know, it's happened to maybe people have never played the sport, the sport before. We've seen it. It's happened in every sport. It's going to continue to happen. And that's just the thing to just move on from it. That's all you can do is learn from your mistake and move on. That's so part two is going to be the actual game because I know, like I said, the flag was definitely going to take a, a good part of this. Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl breakup. So now to talk about the game, Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes, twenty-one for twenty-seven, one hundred eighty-two yards and three touchdowns. Congratulations, Patrick! Great game. Now, big thing here is that you know he played great and he you know he stepped up when he was needed. 
He stepped up in the biggest moments, and I think that's what ultimately won the game. Now, in the last episode, I did say this, is that which defense is going to make the bigger play? And the Kansas City defense did. They forced Jalen Hurts to fumble the ball and return it for a touchdown to keep the score, to keep the lead, uh, the Philly, the Philadelphia lead, not so far away. And that's what I, that's what they needed. They forced a couple, I mean, they forced a punt or two, they forced a punt, and Kadarius Tony, who had a spectacular punt return in the game to set up Patrick Mahomes for you know for another score. And they're just that that's what helped the Kansas City Chiefs in my opinion. Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes played great. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco played great. That running game who had like I believe 160 yards compared to 115 for the Philadelphia Eagles, they did great. Travis Kelsey balled out. And you can't take that away, but I think that Patrick Mahomes made the you know, he made big plays when they were needed and when they were necessary. And definitely other other people from the team stepped up as well. Like I said, Kadarius Tony, who had a great punt return to set up Patrick Mahomes in a good position for a touchdown. The defense forced the fumble, and that was that was ultimately what it was going to come down to: is which team is going to do the best. That's not offense, and that's how I saw it. Now moving over to the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, twenty-seven for thirty for thirty-eight, three hundred and four yards, one touchdown, seventy rushing yards, and three touchdowns on the ground. The big killer: the fumble. If you say the flag, it's not the flag. The fumble, I think, is what kind of killed them because they had great momentum in the first half until the fumble happened, and then that's when Kansas City kind of got their momentum a little bit going, and they realized they can they can beat Jalen Hurts in this offense. <laughs> Big problem. Their defense cannot step up. This is what I'm going to get at with their defense not being this stellar offense. I never believed that the Philadelphia defense was honestly that great. They were good. Don't get me wrong. But they weren't this un, you know, this unbeatable force like the 49er defense was. I would rather take the 49er defense over Philadelphia's because they were an unstoppable. They were unbreakable force. They they were hard to move the ball, you know, to move the ball on them. And the only reason why Philadelphia did it in their defense, they didn't have a quarterback. Of course, you're going to do great when they're when the opposing team runs out of QBs to play. They have to just run the ball all the time. Of course, you're going to do good because you know what they're going to play. They're just going to run the ball. All we have to do is stop uh, Christian McCaffrey, and that's it. From what I've seen this past uh, this past season, don't get me wrong. Like I said they've made stops. They made great plays, but, but there are times when teams have scored more than twenty five or twenty eight points. They've lost. Dallas Cowboys was a big was a great example. Everyone says Gardner Minshew. Lost the game for them. Gardner Minshew did not allow 40 points. Their defense allowed 40 points for Dallas with Dak Prescott. They lost to the Commanders. I believe it was like 26-21 or something like that. They lost to the Commanders. Their defense let Taylor Heineke win the game. They beat a Giants team that, first of all, uh, I believe the last game of the season, they beat a Giants team who were playing all their third stringers and it's not really a great... Uh, Giants team going into the going into the divisional round because as I, as I stated for the Giants for the past year they're only gonna go as far as Saquon Barkley can carry them and that's exactly how far he carried them because the defense was able to stop them and they didn't have really anything else to work with so and they almost lost to a lot of teams going you know going in they lost to the Saints you know Gardner Minshew obviously kind of screwed it up I'll give I'll give that one Gardner Minshew uh, Gardner Minshew was the problem there but. They almost lost to the Colts. They almost lost to the Texans. They, they barely survived a, a Steelers team who ha, who didn't have a good quarterback yet. 
So we, as we've seen that the Philadelphia defense can be beat, and that's what I stated before, is that this, this Philadelphia team can be beat. Do not think that they are this brute force. You can't do it. If you put the right scheme, you're going to beat the Philadelphia defense. The offense, I believe, was the trickiest part because they have a dynamic quarterback who can run and throw. They have great wide receivers in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Obviously, Devontae was a, was a Heisman Trophy winner. A.J. Brown's an all-pro. Dallas Goddard, probably one of the best tight ends in the league. Jason, Jason Kelsey, the best center in the league. Lane Johnson, another top lineman. And they have a, you know, they have a running back trio that can't be, you know, that's pretty good to an extent. I think that Miles Sanders was kind of a little bit of the weakest link. But in any case, there I believe the Philadelphia offense was the probably the hardest team to prepare for because their defense was beatable. We've seen it throughout the season. They you can beat their defense, and we saw it through the play and through the Super Bowl. They were able to form a scheme that was getting Travis Kelsey open. They were getting uh, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore open in the flat in the end zone. So this, you know, this defense was not great, and I think a lot of people kind of over over exaggerate their defense, and it was shown. It was shown in the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Now the Kansas City defense obviously didn't play great either because they allowed they allowed thirty five points. However, though, they were able to force a fumble. They were able to stop Jalen Hurts when they needed to because. As I said, they know they needed to stop Jalen Hurts at some point in time. They And the Eagles defense didn't get a sack the whole game. A one-legged Patrick Mahomes beat that defense. Keep that in mind. And they didn't even get one sack that whole game. And that's what I'm saying with their defense was a little overrated in my opinion. Because if you score enough points on that defense, they, they may not win. And we saw it with Dallas when they dropped 40 points on their defense. When they were supposed to be this historically great defense... They allow they allow big big scores. Don't like don't get it twisted. You know you put the right scheme together. You could beat that defense hands down. And we saw it. And we saw it this past Sunday. And that was it. They the Philadelphia Eagles went up against a team that's very confident in their quarterback. You know with a great setup, with a great offensive mind and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. And that's exactly what happened. And that's that's really what killed the Philadelphia Eagles, in my opinion, was that their defense just didn't step up when they needed to. Jalen Hurts did. I will never take that away from Jalen Hurts. He had a great game he's probably ever had in his career. Barring the fumble, barring the fumble, he had the best game, hands down. But the defense as well ultimately let down, let down the team, and that's why Philadelphia's not champions. <laughs> Cry, Eagles cry. Anyways, moving on to the third part of the Super Bowl. Who had a better game, Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts? I'm going to say Jalen Hurts because looking at the numbers and how hard he played and he how much he stepped up in the Super Bowl definitely should indicate that he was the best, you know, he played better than Patrick Mahomes did. Now, when you look at the stats between them, obviously Patrick didn't have as much passing attempts, but he, did ha- he didn't have a lot of passing yards. But the three touchdowns is what was the key thing for Kansas City, and that's what kind of kept them in the game. And I will agree with that. However, you take away the fumble from Jalen Hurts, Kansas City's not even close, in my opinion. And then, you know, Patrick got hurt going into halftime, and everyone was terrified. Even I said, that's it. Game's over. Kansas City's out. Philadelphia just won their second Super Bowl. And that's not what happened. I mean, he came back and stepped up. But Jalen Hurts went, you know, he went toe-to-toe round to round with Patrick Mahomes in that Kansas City offense. Every time Patrick scored, he came down the he went down the field and he scored. He got the fourth down conversions, 
you know, he was, you know, he stepped up in the biggest moments under the brightest stage and the brightest of lights. And, you know, you can't, I don't think anyone could take that away from Jalen Hurts. You really can't. Because, stat, you know, stats say it and just watching the game on its own was just one of the best, you know, like I said, best performance I've ever seen Jalen Hurts ever have. Especially in a big game like that. Never playing in a Super Bowl like that. Especially if you hear the story, you know, he got benched at Alabama for two Tonga Vailoa in the national championship. He was forced to transfer to Oklahoma you know, drafted in the second round behind Carson Wentz, and now he's in the Super Bowl. And that's great for Jalen Hurts. It really is. And I think he's going to be probably one of the most dynamic quarterbacks going into the future. And definitely he's going to get he's gonna get his money because he got the team to the Super Bowl. And that's just the end of it. But in my opinion, I think Jalen Hurts had a better game than Patrick Mahomes did. Patrick won the game ultimately. That's why he got MVP. I think he did make great plays when they were needed. Like the important big plays he needed was the ones that he got. And so did Jalen Hurts, but I think the the fumble killed him. You can say the flag kind of kind of you know dictated where the end of the game was gonna go. Even though I think it was just it was a call. It happens. But Jalen Hurts, I believe he outplayed Patrick Mahomes, especially doing it on the ground with three touchdowns and then one through the air. Is I what I definitely think was the kind of the split uh, difference between the two quarterbacks. But as I stated, Jalen Hurts played a great game. Don't uh, no one should ever take that away from him. Barring the fumble, hands down, best game he's ever played. But already, I'm going to wrap things up here on this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Remember to follow me on all social medias at CAV Sports or CAV Sports Podcast. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And to make sure you guys are streaming all the episodes on Spotify or Amazon Music, this episode will also be on YouTube. So if you want to come back and rewatch this episode, or if you missed any of the previous episodes, make sure you head on over to the CAV Sports Podcast on Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. But happy Valentine's Day to all of y'all, and I'll check you on the next episode.